This is my third time this morning being able to share this word that God has placed upon my heart. It's a fresh word. I've never preached this before. It's a new journey that the Lord is taking your pastor on. And I'm excited to share it with you this morning. God is good. God is so faithful. And God is in his church. And we're glad that you're here to be a part of it this morning. As we begin a brand new message series, it's more of a mini uh, series, and we're glad you be a part of it. So very different from Practical Christian Living, our marriage and family series of last month, and I hope and pray that was a blessing to your home. But this morning we embark upon a new one. If you'd like to be ready uh, for the word this morning, turn to Leviticus chapter 14. Uh, I usually dread when I'm reading through my Bible to read through the book of Leviticus. But there's blessing in Leviticus for you this morning. We'll turn to that a little bit later on. Two old friends were having a friend's reunion. Two guys. One guy went to college. One guy was a dropout. The college guy said to his friend, so what's been happening in your life? What's been going uh, down uh, uh, for you. The dropout said, well, well, um, recently uh, I opened up a Bible, I closed my eyes, and I just put my finger down at random, and I looked at the word that my finger was pointing to, and it was the word oil. So I took that as a direction from God, a guidance from God, as I was pointing at the word oil, and I invested in oil futures. And I hit gushers. So I tried it again. I closed my eyes, opened up my Bible, put my finger down, and my finger was pointing at the word gold. And I hit pay dirt. I'm richer than Rockefeller. After hearing that from the dropout, the college uh, graduate friend ran back to his hotel room, ran to the nightstand by his bed, opened the drawer, pulled out the Gideon's Bible, closed his eyes, opened it up, put his finger down, and he opened his eyes and looked at what his finger was pointing to. His finger was pointing to chapter 11. If you didn't get that, uh, just ask me after the service. Preachers like myself, communicators like myself, we have a backup plan. If a joke, a joke goes sour, uh, if, there's, if it's not a good segue into the theme of the message, then we have a backup. Uh, this was my backup here this morning. I came across this this past week, this picture. Picture of a baby. If olive oil is made from olives... What is baby oil made of? <laughs> I want to talk to you about oil. Oil. Say oil with me this morning. In the Bible, oil, particularly olive oil, was the prime ingredient for anointing four kinds of people. Anointing is found throughout the entire Bible, but we see it used more specifically in the Old Testament. The people, the various personages that the anointing came upon in the Old Testament, these anointings were mere foreshadowings of the fulfillment to come. They were symbols. They were figures of the final fulfillment in the New Testament. If we have shadow in the Old Testament, we have light in the New Testament. We have the anointing of olive oil in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we have the outpouring of the oil of the third person of the Holy Trinity. We have the outpouring of the person and the presence and the power of God the Holy Spirit. To truly understand 
the anointings that I'm sharing this morning and the weeks to come. We need to delve, we need to discover the four kinds of anointings in the Old Testament to receive the blessing of the New Testament fulfillment. This morning, as you get ready to pray with me, this morning we preach a message to you, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask and pray even right now, Lord, that you would come, sweet Holy Spirit. These bodies, these personages of ours, Lord, were clay. We're mere vessels. But Lord, you have anointed us and appointed us to be temples of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, rend the heavens. Come on down and anoint us, Holy Spirit. Grant us ears to hear and hearts to receive this morning. Of thus saith the Lord, in the name of Jesus, amen. One of the strangest anointings that we ever find in the Bible, write it down, was the leper's anointing. The leper's anointing. The country was shocked this past week, if you were listening to the news. As a little boy in Southern California, in elementary school, was diagnosed with what? Leprosy. Did you hear it in the news? Thank God leprosy today is easily treatable by antibiotics. But in ancient times, leprosy was often a hopeless, dreaded, nightmarish disease. Imagine if you contracted leprosy. Tissue, skin in your body would begin to drop off. You would begin to lose toes and fingers, nose, ears. As inch by inch, your body would be monstrously disfigured, grossly, horribly deformed. As inch by inch, you would walk piecemeal into a grave. Leprosy. Leprosy. I submit to you far worse than, than leprosy was the emotional, psychological disfigurement that would come with this dreaded ancient disease. Can you imagine looking into a, a mirror and seeing your face? A grotesque, disfigured nightmare. I had it bad enough as a teenager looking in the mirror and saying, Sits! The girls won't like me. Can you imagine the alienation, the separation. According to the Levitical law, according to Moses' law, if you were found to have contracted leprosy, you would be separated from your family, you would be separated from your friends, you would be quarantined outside the camp, outside the village, outside the town. You were not only separated from people, you would be separated from the house of God, the community of the faith, you'd be separated from God's presence. Leprosy was so dreadful in such a nightmarish condition that it affected you physically, psychologically, and worst of all, spiritually. Because you were known to be defiled. And the leper, he or she would have to walk around, according to the law of Moses, they would have to walk around with their hand over their upper lip and wherever they would go, they would have to cry what? Unclean. 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 Leprosy, this dreaded ancient disease, was a type. It was a symbol. It was a metaphor. It was a shadow of what reality. Leprosy is a symbol of Sin. Sin impacts us physically, emotionally, psychologically, relationally, and spiritually. According to God's perspective, we're like lepers. We're like a TV series on AMC. 
the walking dead. This is just what the Bible says. The Bible says very succinctly, Scripture says that in Ephesians, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. From God's perspective, you're the walking dead. Like the leper, the sinner shouts out, unclean, unclean. We're separated from God, separated from his presence. For the wages of sin is death. That death includes physical death. It includes spiritual death, separation from God. And if one dies physically while they're spiritually dead, they will then be sentenced to eternal death. That's right. Sin has three faces to it. Physical, spiritual, and eternal death. But God, God had a plan. God had a cleansing plan for the leper. Go back, if you would, this morning to Leviticus chapter 14. The priest shall take the blood and smear some of it upon the tip of the right ear of the man being cleansed and upon the thumb of his right hand and upon the big toe of his right foot. And then after the blood, what would the priest do? After the blood had been applied, what did the priest do? Then the priest, verse 15, shall take the olive oil and place some of the uh, olive oil on the tip of the man's right ear, the, the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot, just as he did with the blood. The remainder of the oil in his hand shall be used to anoint the man's head. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. I hope you see it here. I hope you see the spiritual parallel. When the Lord came into your life, when you were a sinner, when you were a spiritual leper, when you were on a highway to hell without any hope whatsoever, separated from God, lost in your sins, blind to God's truth, and on a highway to, to, to the lake of fire, what happened when you received Jesus Christ into your heart and life? First the blood, then the oil. First the blood, then the oil. <laughs> what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing but the blood of Jesus. First the blood, then the oil. The blood delivers. The blood sets us free. The blood gives us victory because on the cross, Jesus paid it all. But after the cross, there comes Pentecost. After the blood, there comes the oil. And the oil of the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, cleanses us. Sanctification means we're set up Apart from our sins, we're given fresh desires, a desire to love Jesus, a desire to serve God. Sanctification not only sets us apart from sin, but sanctification sets us apart to God. We become God's own child. We become God's own lover. We become married to Jesus because he's the lover of our soul. Hallelujah. We become a member of the household of faith. We're king's kids, and we call him Abba, Father, for the Spirit cries, Abba. First the blood, and then the oil of God's anointing Holy Spirit in our life. You might not have been cognizant. You might not have been aware that when you were born again, these things took place in your life because you knew very little about the Bible, very little about the plan of God for your life. But I'm here to tell you right now, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, when you were born again, your sins were cleansed. Uh, they were put in God's seed of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. You were cleansed by the blood and you were made special by the oil. The oil of God's Holy Spirit 
Both the blood of Jesus, both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are at work in your lives the moment you are born again. The oil, when the oil of the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you're never the same. I said you're never the same. When the leper was healed, when the leper was cleansed, when the leper could return back to the camp, return back to his family, back to his friends in the house of God, how do you think the, the leper responded? Oh, this is nice. No, there was joy. And that's just what the anointing brings. When you're born again, there should be joy in your life. To me, the number one sign that somebody has become a follower of Jesus Christ, the number one sign that you're born again is that your face is lit up with joy. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? Isaiah 61 verse 3 to those in Isaiah 61 3 to those who have sorrow I will give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes uh, I will give them the oil of joy instead of sorrow and a spirit of praise instead of a spirit of no hope <laughs> honey sir ma'am if you're walking and talking with Jesus you have the oil of joy coursing through your life it's not an oil of sadness it's not an oil of sorrow. This business of being a Christian isn't a serious, intense, uh, uh, formalistic, ritualistic matter. It's joy. It's wonderful joy. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Christians should be the most happy people on the planet. Statistics tell me that America makes up only 6% of the global population, yet we use 93% of the world's tranquilizers. That tells me that joy comes at a high price. Well, your Jesus paid the price at the cross. And because of the cross, there's a Pentecost. And God is pouring out his spirit. It's not a matter if you can receive the spirit. The matter is, are you receptive? God is pouring. God is anointing. God is sending. Are you receiving? Are you receiving? Are you receiving the anointing of joy? This is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now you can understand the Word of God so much more. First the blood, then the oil. This is God's plan. A symbol in the Old Testament, fulfillment in the New. I'm spending the most time on this first point because it bears, it bears underscoring so much. I love the story of a minister acquaintance of mine who in college encountered a young man, a classmate, that was the happiest guy on campus. I mean, you never saw this guy frowning. You never saw him uh, in some depressed, despairing state. I mean, he had the joy of Jesus all over him all the time. And what was strange about it was the fact that this young man, this classmate, his face was horribly disfigured with a birthmark. And this minister acquaintance of mine just couldn't stand it any longer. One time in the library, he whispered to him. He whispered to the guy with the birthmark, How is it? They are so happy all the time. And yet you have that birthmark. The young man whispered back with a cheerful smiling smile dancing across his face. He said, one time I came home from school as a little boy and all the kids had been teasing me. All the bullies had been bullying me about my birthmark on my face. They told me I was ugly. They told me I was a monster. I went home and I cried to my mommy and daddy. And then my mommy and daddy told me that when I was born and they saw me with my birthmark on my face that the Lord witnessed to their spirit. The Lord told them that I had been kissed by an angel 
that God had marked me for a special destiny. God had called me out for something unique, something special, something powerful, that God's hand was on me in a mighty way. I grew up my whole life hearing that I was special, that I was marked for great things, that God had a high and a holy calling on my life, that I had been kissed by an angel. I felt sorry for people that didn't have a birthmark on their face. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. The leper's anointing included not just cleansing. The leper's anointing includes the joy of the Lord. This joy of the Lord is an anointing oil of gladness that pervades and invades our lives. I'm not talking about silliness. I'm not talking about being Mr. or Miss Comedian. I'm talking about a holy contentment. I'm talking about a holy God confidence that no matter the trial, no matter the tribulation, no matter matter the trouble or the vicissitude of life that you enter or encounter, you know that you know that you know that God's on the throne and everything's going to be all right. And that's a reason to rejoice. Hallelujah. Now you understand Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. For thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. In the worst of times, your enemies. For thou anointest my head with what? Oil. (laughs) And when God anoints you with his anointing, it's not a just enough measure. It's a running over. It's an overflow. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? No wonder the joy of the Lord is our strength. Oh, write it down with me this morning. Once you're born again, though, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop just at the leper's anointing because there's a greater anointing that God wants for your life. It's called the prophet's anointing. The prophet's anointing. Have you moved into the prophet's anointing? Prophets were anointed with oil when they were called into the prophetic ministry. One example is Elisha, who was anointed by Elijah. 1 Kings 19, the Lord said to Elijah, Go back the way you came. Anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. What's the prophet's anointing? The prophet's anointing was more of a foretelling than a foretelling. We often think of the prophet's anointing as being able to predict the future. That really was minor in comparison to the prophets speaking to the household of Israel. Repent! Come back to the love, the mercy, the grace of our living God, Jehovah, and he will embrace you and take you in, restore you, and make you whole. It was a thus saith the Lord. When you move into the Holy Spirit's anointing, the prophet's anointing, the Spirit of God empowers you to speak God's word and to speak God's will into situations that are anointed and appointed by him. It's not a twilight zone, mumbo-jumbo, super spiritual, you know, goosebump type of experience. The prophet's anointing is open for any born-again, blood-washed child of God. The prophet's anointing is when you give a right word in the right time. It's when you have a word from the Lord. It might be his word, a Bible verse, or it might be a word that comes from heaven and is dropped into your spirit because it's God's will for the moment. It's a word of wisdom. It's a word of knowledge. It's a word of discernment. It's a word that gives guidance there is ever a time that a word needs to be given 
If there is ever a time the prophet's anointing needs to be in our homes, it's now. We need to see the prophet's anointing upon parents and grandparents, upon husbands and wives that can speak God's word and will into their homes. Listen, Noah saved his entire family because he heard from God and he spoke God's word. And he thus saved his entire family, his entire household from the day of judgment. Mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening to the word of the Lord? It's not an aspect, it's not a fact that God is not talking. God is always speaking. The issue is, are you listening? God has a word for you to share. It might be, it might be to one of your brothers and sisters in the faith. It might be a word uh, to one of your children that are struggling. It might be a, a, a word to a mommy uh, that, that, that has too many children uh, to take care of. And the doctor has just said, there's another one coming. And, and God will give you a word of encouragement. And you can speak to that soul, be not weary in well-doing. For if you faint not, you will reap in due season. Be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as your labor is not in vain. For those under attack, you can speak a word and declare, if God be for us, who can be against us? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. For though the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard of victory against him. Greater is he that's within us than he that's within this world. Speak his word. Speak the word. Speak the word. It might be a word that he gives you. It might be a word of scripture that's doubly anointed. My Bible says, your Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, uh, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the inner man. The dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Are you speaking a word uh, that touches the inner man with inner healing, the inner woman with, with inner God confidence? God wants to use you in the prophet's anointing. Here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Greek, the original Greek word that is used for W-O-R-D is not logos. That means the printed or the written word. It is rhema. Rhema is a spoken word. <laughs> it is an anointed word. An anointed word that is appointed for a specific issue, a specific time, a specific person. The prophets anointed Anointing is desperately needed today. Desperately needed. Where we are instant in season and out of season. Not just to speak a word of encouragement, but to speak a word uh, of evangelism, a word of outreach, a word uh, of witnessing to the lost, the blind, the bound in, in sin. Listen, you don't have to go door-to-door -door witnessing anymore. You can just sit in your home and let them come to you like I did yesterday. I was in the basement helping Becky because she was screaming that she was having a heart attack. I ran down into the basement. She wasn't having a heart attack. Though she was bringing one on, she found the biggest, baddest mouse you've ever seen in the pitcher of water that she uses for her electric iron. And she was, I'll tell you, I haven't seen my wife in such a panic. I'm calming her down. I'm trying to give her a word <laughs> that God will not leave her her forsaker and that she can tread on snakes and scorpions and any power of the enemy, including mice, she wasn't receiving. <laughs> Suddenly the doorbell rang. I ran upstairs, and through the glass in the door, I noticed the shadow of two figures, and I immediately knew what I was going to open the door to. Hallelujah. God sent me two JWs, <laughs> two lost souls, two Jehovah Witnesses, and ringing the, my doorbell. And uh, they handed me literature right away. And before they could give a, get a word out of their mouth, 
uh, I looked at them and I said, I am so sorry for you. And they said, why are you so sorry for us? I said, I'm so sorry that you have to go door to door to win your salvation. I said, that's right. I've studied. I've studied your religion. I've, I've taught on it. And you have to go door to door to door to win your way into paradise. And by the way, heaven for you folks has already been filled up because you believe only 144,000 will be saved. Last I checked and Googled, the 144,000 has been filled up. So you changed your doctrine and you said since heaven's filled up, paradise will be here on earth. I want you to know I'm going to heaven. And I'm not going to heaven based upon my works, lest I boast. But by grace we are saved. For Jesus who hung upon the cross for you and I. I'm, I'm preaching just as I'm uh, to them, just as I'm speaking to you right now. I said when Jesus died upon the cross, he didn't say it was halfway finished. He didn't say it was three quarters of a way finished. My Jesus, when he hung upon the cross, he said, it is finished. <laughs> he paid it all. He paid it all. He paid it all. They looked at me and said, we need to go to the next house. <laughs> the prophet's anointing. When God grants you the anointing of his Holy Spirit at any moment, any place, at any time, you can use the prophet's anointing to speak his word, to speak his will into situations for his glory. The anointing God desires to pour out on the, his people is more than just the leper or the prophet's anointing, however. Don't settle. Don't settle for just these anointings. Move on to all that God has for you. He wants us to move into the kingly anointing. The kingly anointing. When King Saul, read it in the Bible, when the first king of Israel, King Saul, left God, God left him. Nothing can pull you out of the hand of God unless you yourself turn your back on God. That's what Saul did. So God's spirit left Saul. And God instructed his prophet, prophet Samuel, to go and anoint a brand new king. God told Samuel the town, the town was Bethlehem. God told Samuel the home, it was the home of Jesse. But God didn't give Samuel a name. Because God was also testing Samuel. And God instructed Samuel to go to Bethlehem, the house of Jesse. As Samuel walked into the home of Jesse, he asked Jesse to line up his sons. And Jesse lined up seven sons. Can you imagine that? Pastor Ryan and Julie are working on that. Seven sons. Sorry, I just couldn't help it. <laughs> Beat me up afterwards. <laughs> Seven sons all lined up. Imagine that. Seven sons all lined up. And the first son was the oldest. His name was Eliab. Eliab. He was in a woman's dream. The scripture says he was tall, dark, and handsome. At least tall and handsome. And the prophet said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. That's what some of you girls are doing. Surely this is the one. And right away, God checked the prophet. And God spoke to the prophet and said, I do not look on the outward appearance. I don't look at a man's height. Man looks on the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. I see the heart. I see the heart. God said, this is not the one. Number two, this is not the one. Number three, this is not the one. Down to number seven, all seven sons passed before Samuel, and God said, this is not the one. These are not the ones. Samuel looks up at Jesse and says, do you have any other sons? Jesse said, well, there's the runt of the litter. He's so young and, and he's the youngest. You know, God can't do anything with the youngest. 
I've got him out in the back 40 watching the sheep, doing the job nobody else wants to do. The prophet Samuel said, bring him right now, immediately. And this little boy walked in all red-cheeked. It's right there in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. And so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the olive oil that he had brought and he poured it upon David's head. And the Spirit of Jehovah came upon him and gave him great what? Power from that day onward. Power to bring down the giant Goliath with a slingshot. Power to rule all the household of Israel. Power to take on the enemy as no other king. No wonder when they saw Jesus coming, they cried out and said, Oh, thou son of... Because the kingly anointing was on Jesus. The kingly anointing. Are you exercising the kingly anointing? Do you know what I mean by moving in the authority and the power of the kingly anointing? Consider the enemies that we confront. Consider the spiritual battle that is before us. I don't need to look at the election to know that we're confronting a pagan world, a heathenistic, blasphemous world, an antichrist world like never before. Come on, wake up and smell the coffee. Some of us are living in homes where we wake up every day, not to just a paganistic world, but to a pagan family members, carnal uh, family members. Oh yes, they come to church, they hear the word of the Lord, but they don't do it. And we confront rebellious spirits. Sometimes those spirits are so rebellious, we think that they're possessed spirits. We're just waiting for those heads to twirl upon their shoulders. But they're not possessed. They're just rebellious. It's carnal Christianity. We confront a pagan world. We confront rebellious spirits in, in our circles of relationship. And yes, we confront demonic powers, demonic forces of hell. The Bible is clear on this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We wrestle against spiritual forces that do not have bodies. But think of it. Think of it this morning. Think of it this morning. Think of it this morning. We've read the end of the book. The end of the book doesn't end in a whimper. It ends in a roar. <laughs> We're on the winning side. For I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. We are more than conquerors through him that loves us. You know, I would have despaired a long time ago. I wouldn't be in this pulpit preaching. I wanted to be a scientist or a lawyer when I was growing up. I was betwixt and between. I changed my major three times in college until God finally got a hold of me, or I got a hold of God. Because I said to the Lord, what hope is there? How can I do it? It's impossible. When I consider, Lord, all the obstacles when it comes to ministry, my dad was in the ministry, my granddad was in the ministry, and I saw how the world and the church treated them, and I want nothing to do with it because it's an impossible task. What hope is there, Lord? And he turned me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In Acts 1, 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth if it wasn't for that promise I would have thrown in the towel a long time ago the Greek word translated power is dunamis we get our word dynamite the explosive power of God's spirit is infused into the Christian's life so that your talk uh, and your walk uh, is far greater, far different from what it used to be. Now you're moving in the power and the authority of God's Holy Spirit, for it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. What kind of power am I talking about? 
Power to perform the miraculous. Power to heal a broken heart. Power to mend a marriage or make fragmented families whole. Power to set free those bound by habits and addictions. Power to move in the authority vested in the name of Jesus against the forces of darkness. Power to save a sin-sick soul. This is what the Pentecost is all about. This is what the Holy Spirit's anointing is all about. The kingly anointing. It's all about power and authority, power in the name of Jesus, power in the good news, the gospel, power in the shed blood of the Lamb, power, Pentecostal power, hallelujah, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, crown him Lord of all. Preacher, you're getting awful exciting. Hey, I, I watch TV, and I watch guys get excited about selling used cars. I mean, I, I've been to a football game, and I watch people paint themselves yellow and blue and scream their lungs out and come home hoarse. If I can't get excited about the power of the Holy Spirit... If I can't get excited about his anointing in my life and in his church, what is there left to get excited about? God, help us. God, save us from namby-pamby preaching today that's afraid to step on the toes of church attenders where churches have become playhouses instead of powerhouses for the glory of God. When Jesus showed up to church, he cleaned house. He cleaned house. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I pray, oh Lord. Oh, sweet Holy Spirit, rend the heavens, rend the heavens. Come on down to Lakeside Assembly of God and grant us a fresh anointing. Grant us a fresh touch, a fresh move of your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and revive us again. Revive us again. Because when a holy God shows up, there's no more playhouse. But there's a powerhouse as God cleans house for his honor, his glory, his blessing. But I want you to know, the greatest aspect of the anointing that I preach and teach on this morning in our lives is the priestly anointing. Do you know the priestly anointing? Have you moved into this life in the Spirit? Again, for those that are new to this word, I'm not talking about that which smacks of the twilight zone. I'm not talking about being a Jesus freak. I'm not talking about mumbo-jumbo or something that's weird. This is ordained of God. This is your calling. This is your highest call. The priestly anointing is the highest calling and dimension in the spirit that you can move into. You see, priests were anointed far, far different than kings, prophets, and least of all lepers. Read with me what the Scripture says about the priestly anointing. It's in your Bibles, and I'm waiting for the slide to turn up. Exodus 30, the Lord instructed skilled perfume makers to compound all this into a holy anointing oil. Use it to anoint Aaron and his sons, sanctifying them so that they can minister to me as priests. Exodus 30, verse 31. And say to the people of Israel, this shall always be my holy anointing oil. This oil was different from any other oil. It's precious oil. It's costly oil. This perfumed oil is far different from ordinary olive oil. Fragrances, perfumes were compounded and mixed with the olive oil to make it costly, precious, aromatic. 
If I was to open up a vessel in this room of this sacred oil, immediately pervading the atmosphere of this place would be a sweet, overwhelming aroma. Now listen to what God instructs about this unique, precious, costly, sacred oil. This shall always be my holy anointing oil. It must never be poured upon any ordinary person, and you shall never make any of it yourselves. For it is holy, and it shall be treated by you as holy. Anyone who compounds any incense like it or puts any of it upon someone who is not a priest shall be what? Excommunicated. God's judgment was upon them. We're talking about the priestly anointing, the highest calling. It was the priestly anointing that was so unique and so special. Why? Only the priests, not the prophets, not the kings, only the priests could press into the holy place and press into the holy of holies, into the Shekinah glory, and enjoy intimacy with the Lord of glory, with God. My dear Lakeside family, I speak to you heart to heart. There is no greater calling. There is no greater privilege. There is no greater anointing than the priestly anointing. I'm talking about the privilege and the opportunity to stand before a holy God and press into His presence with praise and worship. God, forgive us for being flippant and casual about praise and worship. Praise and worship is not about the top 40 Christian contemporary songs that are out there today. Praise and worship is not about the toe tapper that you just keep singing all week long. Praise and worship is lifting up holy hands and lifting up a holy face and singing the songs of Zion and uttering unto Him blessing and honor and glory and power. It's standing alongside angels and seeing what the angels see, sensing what the angels sense, and seeing what the angels see. Our God, high and lifted up and filled with glory. The priestly anointing. Pastor, how do you know that we're called to it? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. What makes us special? That we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because we can only worship Him truly when we worship by the Spirit and through the power of the Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 4, Jesus said true worshipers will worship the Father in ritual, formalism. True worshipers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. With the priestly anointing, it's when you begin to utter high praises to God. It's when you move into overdrive in the Spirit. It's when you strive to give your best praise. It's when you strive to give your best worship in English, your best praise, your best worship that you are able to attain to. And then suddenly the anointing comes down and begins, you begin high praises. And worship has no effort. Worship is free-flowing. Worship is ascending. Worship is flowing through you like a mighty river you're no longer doing the praising you're no longer doing the worshiping the Holy Spirit is praising through you this is the priestly anointing this is the priestly anointing this is the priestly anointing
The Holy Spirit right now is moving like a wind through this place. Don't be disturbed by what you're hearing or sensing. When the wind blows through a tree, some branches are going like this. Some branches are barely moving, but it's the same wind. It's the same wind. They that worship Him will worship Him in spirit and in truth. How do we receive the prophet's anointing? How do we receive the kingly anointing? How do we receive the priestly anointing? Receive the Jesus anointing. When you receive Jesus, you receive all the anointing that you ever need. When Jesus is fully manifested in your life, there'll come a cross and there'll come Pentecost. Jesus said, Behold, I send you another comforter, someone just like me. Who is that other comforter? God, the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, you need to seek the presence, the person, the power of God, the Holy Spirit in your life. When you're born again, yes, you have the Holy Spirit within you. He resides within the guest room of your life. But when you are in the Spirit-filled experience, when you're baptized in the Spirit, when you're living and walking and talking in the Spirit, He not only resides in the guest room of your heart, He has the run of the whole house. <laughs> and He needs the run of the whole house in your life. I'm talking about the anointing. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has what? anointed me. If Jesus needed the anointing, how much more do I need the anointing? He has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Hallelujah. Prophet, priest, and king. Anointings are all in Jesus. If you're seeking to be spirit-filled, if you're seeking the priestly, prophet, and kingly anointing, then just begin loving Jesus. Begin praising Jesus. Begin seeking Jesus. Jesus said this. These are not my words. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Jesus said, seek and you will. Jesus said, knock and the door will be. If you earthly parents, Jesus said, know how to give your children good gifts, how much more so will my Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? You don't have to go through mental gymnastics. You don't have to go through physical gymnastics. This is not a matter of works. This is a matter of grace. God wants to fill you with His Holy Spirit. He wants to anoint you with His Spirit far more than you want to receive. He just looks for yielded vessels. Back to the priestly anointing. Back to the priestly anointing. Our highest calling, our greatest opportunity. There's only three words. I should say there's only one word that's repeated three times in the Bible. In praise and worship to God. We never ever hear in the Bible that God is loving, loving, loving. We never hear in the Bible the angels praising Him with faithful, faithful, faithful. Yes, God is faithful. Yes, God is loving. In the Hebrew, when there's a repetitive phrase, it is there for intentional redundancy. It is there for emphasis. It means that it's the highest aspect and attribute of God's character. Where am I moving? My Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6 and in Revelation that 24-7, night and day throughout eternity, flying above the throne room of God, are mighty heavenly creatures. These creatures are known as seraphims. They have six wings. With one pair of wings, they hide their feet in reverence with one pair of wings they blind their eyes hide their eyes in reverence and with one pair of wings they fly and night and day throughout eternity past and eternity future what do they cry out holy 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 is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come I'm
I'm believing that today, somehow, some way, the sun is going to peek out from behind the clouds. But I cannot and you cannot stare the sun straight in your eye or you would be blinded. Yet are you aware that in our universe, yea, our own Milky Way galaxy, that there are stars that are 20,000 times more luminous and blinding than our own sun? Yet the Bible says in the book of Job that even the stars are not pure in the sight of God. He is the creator of blinding stars because his brilliance outshines any star, any galaxy of the universe. This is why the angels must hide their eyes because the brilliance of his holiness is so awesome that all they can cry out is holy, holy, holy. The holiness of God is the wholeness of God. It's the perfection of God. It says that it means he's apart from all the creation. He is utterly unique. That's when he revealed himself to Moses and he said, when Moses asked, who is it that's talking to me? God said, I am that I am. I am the eternally self-existent God, and there is none other like me. So all that the angels can do is cry, Holy! 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 What am I getting at? When you press into His holy presence with praise and worship, His wholeness becomes your wholeness. He said, be holy as I am holy. When you press into his presence, there is joy everlasting. There is an anointing of gladness. There's no sorrow. When you press into his presence, there's victory. For there's victory in Jesus. Our God has never lost a battle. He knows no defeat or retreat. For the Lord is our strength. He is our shield. He is our defender. Press into his presence, and there is health and healing. Press into his presence, and there's hope beyond this veil of tears. I don't know about tomorrow, but I know the one who holds tomorrow in his hands, and he's the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Quietly stand with me right now. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty Early in the morning my song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons blessed trinity oh you need to sing the next verse holy 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 all the saints adore thee down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Oh, join the angels. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee. Which word and 
and ever more shall be. Do you hunger for this anointing? Oh, don't settle for just the leper's anointing. Move on. Press in. There's the prophet, the king's anointing. And then the greatest of all is the priestly anointing. In his presence, this morning he wants to anoint you. It's not a question of his desire. It's a question of what do you want. It's a question of your passion for his presence. I want to invite you right now, if you're hungry, if you're hungry for more of God, if you're thirsty for all that you can receive from him, I want you to quickly come down to this altar. I want you to quickly fill up these aisleways. I want you to quickly press in to the presence of the Lord this morning. He is here. He is here. And the anointing oil is flowing. Hallelujah. Precious Jesus. It's so Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.